0: Before we start today's show, I just want to give a massive shout out to ACAST for making this show happen.
1: Thanks, ACAST. Hold up. What was that?
0: Hello and welcome to the PJ Podcast. Happy New Year! If this is your first time joining me, how long can you get away with saying Happy New Year? It's like Merry Christmas. It's very much an expiry date, but I'm gonna I'm gonna roll it out today. It's gonna be the last time because I feel like it's it's a little bit apt today. We're in a space where we want to be inspired. We want to be set up for the year. And that is why I'm so excited for my guests this week, because it's perfect timing. With over 15 million copies sold of their book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, I am joined by Mark Manson. Um, He is from originally Texas in the States, and um, he has just absolutely killed it with this book. No doubt you've seen it sitting on bookshelves over the last few years. It's resonated with many particularly in a time where everyone has been looking for help and I think it's resonated with so many people because of its no-bullshit, life-changing approach. And now the book is actually turning into a documentary and it comes out this week. You can see it in cinemas. Very exciting. I got to catch up with Mark to chat all things about the book and the doco at the end of last year and I really, really hope that you enjoyed this chat because I did. Oh, we're on. We're ready. <laughs> Hi, Mark. Hello. How are you? Whereabouts in the world are you at the moment? Uh, I am in Los Angeles. Is that is that home now?
3: It is home now.
0: Because you have actually got a bit of a, a Kiwi link in this film, which is very exciting.
3: It, it is. It is. I was filmed down there. I was living down there. It was it was amazing. Whereabouts were you living? <laughs> Uh, in Auckland.
0: Oh, cool! And because you guys, you were working on this pre-COVID, then all of a sudden the pandemic happened, and you guys yeah. had to had a massive pause.
3: Yeah, it completely derailed all <laughs> of the plans. Originally, we were going to film in New York. I think I think GFC, which is based in Auckland, they were going to come up to New York for a couple of weeks. We we're going to film everything in New York, and they were going to go back. But COVID hit, messed everything up, and then basically after you know, six or eight months managed to get me into the country and did all the filming down there. Um,
0: what What's that like when you, you sort of put a movie on hold for a couple of years, did you find that you still resonated with it and were as passionate about it come when you actually got to do it finally?
3: Yeah, it, it didn't really change my feeling towards it at all. It's funny because it actually, I think it actually made me more excited because being stuck in new york city during covid is just horrific horrible it's like being in a mad max movie yeah and and then finally when we found out that there was a way to get me down the, to auckland uh and it was so funny because you know the the people at gfc they're they're so wonderful but they're so kiwi so they're, they're so polite <laughs> you know like i'm i'm like having calls with them and you know and at this point we're talking about we're like well maybe we'll we'll film uh remotely you know we'll have the director on zoom with you and i'm like look, i'm like guys no that's horrible yeah (laughs) that is a that is the worst way to make a film is over zoom and uh and and we keep talking and i'm like look is there any way you could get me into the country and they're like oh well (laughs) yeah but you know you'd have to quarantine and it's a lot of paperwork. We would never ask you to do that. It's just su- oh, such so I said you did. Did you do the full-on quarantine? <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, Listen, I'm like, are you can guys, do you know what what I'm living in right now? Like, do you <laughs> like I'm in the zombie apocalypse? Get me out. I am like, I will I will quarantine as long as you want. <laughs> get me out of here. <laughs> oh,
0: but you finally got to do it. And um God, it yeah. must have felt good to get out.
3: <laughs> it was, it was uh yeah, it 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 was amazing. So we, we ended up, you know, filming last for maybe we filmed on and off for a couple months. And then, and then my wife and I, we stayed down there for another two or three months. Basically we waited for the vaccine to come out and then we went home as soon as the vaccine was out. So, uh, yeah, ended up living in in Auckland for about five months. And, uh, (laughs) how'd you find it? (laughs) Loved it. Absolutely loved it. Uh, yeah, it's just such a, a beautiful country and um just very friendly, relaxed people and very underrated food. Like yes. you guys have And coffee. Fantastic food. <laughs> and I had no idea.
0: There is so much I want to talk to you about because your film and your books they're fantastic and there's just so many wonderful themes that emerge and I want to talk about a few but first of all I think this is probably one of the most common questions you get Mark are you a psychologist and why are you writing a self-help book
3: (laughs) uh no and I have no idea um I don't have, I don't have a degree in psychology and I don't know why people take me seriously, but they <laughs> seem to keep taking me seriously. Over so.
0: 14 million copies seriously. So you're doing pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
3: yeah. It's uh, I mean, I, I do, I do, I should say this because at a certain point, maybe like five or six years ago, um, I did start to get a little bit insecure about the lack of credentials. So I do have psychologists, like I have and I have people on my team who have psychology degrees, graduate degrees in psychology, uh, who do know how to look into all the research and data yeah. and, and know what's bullshit and what's not. So, yes. and uh, it,
0: And it's a very sort of experiential account as well. Like, I love how you go through moments in your life and talk about all the things that have emerged throughout that time.
3: Yeah. I mean, it's look, it's. You can have the greatest psychological theory in the world, but if nobody understands it or relates to it, then it's not worth a whole lot. So, you know, I, I see my my role in the world, I guess, is is I'm not the one studying and inventing these theories. I'm the one who's. You know taking them and understanding you know reading the academic journal and yep. understanding the data and then kind of like okay how does this actually relate to people and how can i describe this in a way that people can benefit from
0: because you start off the the film talking about the the very dangerous uh, mentality that a lot of us have in society which is i will be happy when dot 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 and it's just this constant <laughs> dangling of yep. a carrot and Even when you know that, like even I'm aware of that theory and how dangerous it is, I still find it creeps into our life all the time. So much so, like in trivial ways, it will manifest in my own home. I'll be happy when the house is clean. And then
3: and it's just this <laughs> horrific
0: wheel of never ever getting to this place, right?
3: Yeah, pretty much. We're just, we're like stuck on a hamster wheel in our own heads.
0: How, so do you have like a hack or a shortcut to get out of your head like that?
3: Uh, <laughs> I mean, look, there, there is a certain practice of presence and mm gratitude i mean you could practice mindfulness and try to you know a lot of what these things are actually you know whether it's meditation or therapy like they really are just practices of a identifying whatever you're experiencing in the present moment and then b accepting yes whatever that experience is in the present moment um and kind of letting it go And so you can get better at that, but I don't think anybody, like, unless you're like the Dalai Lama or something, like, (laughs) nobody (laughs) hits the point where they're just always nailing the happiness train every second of every day. Like, you know, we all get sucked into our neuroses and get triggered by things, so... (sighs) yeah yeah, it's a constant practice
0: what i love about it is because you you hear the title and it's like the subtle art of not giving a fuck and it it sounds really brutal and it's like oh he doesn't care like is it all about not having meaning but actually when you crack it down and you get to the root of the film it's about we have limited fucks and it's about choosing which of the fucks (laughs) do you love that (laughs) i can just swear in this because it's the name of your book um (laughs) like it's working out what fucks are worth giving a fuck about yeah that's for about, sure, That's about for it. Sure. And, and, and it wasn't until you were faced with a, a death of a friend of yours at, at age 19, wasn't it? That you really mm. had to face that.
3: It was a wake up call for me. Mm. Um, I, I, I think I spent most of my teenage years avoiding caring about anything. Uh, because, you know, just cause I was hurt and scared and immature, you know, all those things. Um, and yeah, it was, it was the death of my friend, Josh, that it was kind of like the wake up call of like, dude, that could have been you. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? You know, like get your shit together, man. And so, it, yeah, it was, it was very impactful and transformational and, and important for me at that time to realize that like, yeah, you have to care about something. You have to do something. You can't just You know, sit around like a potato.
0: And sadly, it's so often for so many people that they have that life-changing moment when they're faced with their mortality. Either someone they know gets really ill, Mm -hmm. someone passes on, something horrific happens and you're like, shit, what am I doing? Like, what have I been doing this whole time? (laughs) And that's what I love about this because it's like forcing people to actually steer down that barrel before it becomes too late.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, it's something we, we all should think about more often.
0: And I love one of the themes also about accountability and responsibility. And I think we're all so, well, we can all be very guilty of placing blame on others when things don't go our way. <laughs> and I loved yeah. some of the, um, the images you used of like people suing restaurants and all that entitlement <laughs> that we have. How important is that, you know, being accountable for your own actions
3: I think honestly, I think it's everything. It's mm. funny that the the chapter on responsibility in the book it actually started out as a an article on my website, probably two years before the book came out. Uh, and the title of that article was called "The Prime Belief," which mm-hmm. I argued in that article that basically until you believe that you're responsible for everything in your life, like nothing else is going to work. As as long as you operate on the assumption that the world is something that happens to you and you are not something that happens to the world. Like <laughs> y- you're always, you're always going to be powerless and feel disenfranchised no matter how good the advice, no matter how much support you get, no matter, uh, you know, how fortunate or how many opportunities come down, you're, you're just going to feel like a passenger in the car of your own life. Uh, and so to me, it's that, that recognition that it you are making a choice, in every single moment, what to care about, what to focus on, how to react to what's happening around you. And even if you don't realize you have that choice in every moment, it's still there and you're still making it. And mm. so a lot of this stuff comes down to simply being aware of that choice, being aware that you are choosing what to focus on, choosing how to react to what you're experiencing. And once you realize that, then everything else kind of kicks in. Like every other piece of advice advice suddenly becomes way more relevant and useful.
0: I found it really interesting the part where you talked about, was it in the 60s where they raised the generation of the entitled? Was it the 60s or was it later than that?
3: Uh, I think you're talking about the self-esteem movement. So 60s and 70s was when it really picked up.
0: And then... As a result, we've seen a whole lot of entitled people who want everything without the hard work and without the sacrifice. I have a three-month-old boy and I was watching that and I was like, but I want to tell him that he's amazing and he can do, (laughs) you know, everything and that the world is his oyster. What would your alternative to that be? How do do you
2: combat that narrative? Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods And 365 day returns. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance, United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1 dot com.
3: Well, there, there's so there's actually some interesting research on this. They've actually found that the problem is so if you're a parent or a caregiver or a teacher or whatever, I think the key is that you're supposed to reward children for their effort and not reward them for just showing up.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. So,
3: or, or not, and you know, not even reward. So I think part of the problem is don't reward them for the result, reward them for the effort. So like, uh-huh. you know, instead of like happens- coming first,
0: second or third, it's like, oh, well, yeah. you, you actually, Try, try. <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah. 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 Because, and it works both ways because a lot of times, you know, you'll, you'll get, you know, say you've got a child who's not good at something or not talented mm. in a certain area and they put in a lot of effort, but they don't get the results. So they don't get the reward. So they feel like, well, I put in all this effort. I'm mm. a loser. I'm worthless, whatever. On the flip side, you have kids who do things that they are talented at, that they do have some natural ability, And they don't try very hard and they get first place every time and they get rewarded for it. And, and so they develop that sense of entitlement of like, well, I, you know, I'm amazing. I don't have to do anything, you know, this it's again coming back to
0: the need for that sacrifice and hard work and being rewarded for that in a a sense.
3: Yeah. So apparently the healthy way to build a sense of self-worth in a young person is to reward them for the effort, not necessarily for the result for the, for the progress, I should say. Which, by the way, ties into everything we know about, like, happiness, which is, yes. like, it's the journey, not yes. the destination, right? Like- well, and, like,
0: as you, as you talk about in the film, um, the war survivors, which could be a controversial yeah. angle, I guess, but having survived and going through that trauma, they admitted to, you know, being better people after that. Was that quite a bit down the track that they had that realization?
3: I think Dabrowski did most of his work in the early 50s so it was probably five six seven years later mm. um but you know it's funny like i just there's a concept in psychology called uh post-traumatic growth mm. um so you know everybody's heard of ptsd post-traumatic mm-hmm. traumatic stress syndrome but there's a much lesser known concept known, known as post-traumatic growth and what's fascinating is that people who go through traumatic experiences it's only a minority of people who experience ptsd afterwards I, it's you know i don't remember the exact amount but it's you know 10 20 maybe whereas a majority of people actually say that they experience some degree of post-traumatic growth you wow. know they say things like like it made me a better person it made me appreciate my relationships it made me reconsider my goals and values uh it made me stop taking things for granted, but you don't, it doesn't get the attention and the yeah. airplay, you But know? it's so true.
0: Like every yeah. adversity, every hard thing that you go through in life, I feel like, yes, it's shit at the time, but you come through a stronger person. Every yeah. time.
3: Yeah. And it, and it's, it becomes a weird thing where you're like, I would never do that again. Yeah. yeah <laughs> but I'm, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm kind of glad it happened.
0: <laughs> I did like how you spoke about, um, how it's good to think of everybody is wrong instead of we're all right, you know? And it's like, yeah. who's slightly less wrong? And I yeah. found that really interesting. And how could I be wrong in this situation? Or how could I be? It just kind of completely reframed it. And I think in a world where everyone is so adamant that their worldview <laughs> is right, I found that really refreshing.
3: Yeah, it's it's funny because sometimes my wife and my friends you know there's there's always drama going on on social media there's always yep. some new scandal or yes political <laughs> crisis or whatever and and i don't know i i feel like i've gotten pretty good at having like a zen like indifference to most <laughs> of this stuff and there, there are times where like my wife will show me something and she'll be like freaking out being like can you believe this so you know and i'm like well yeah i can because People are idiots, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's just like we're all idiots. We're all just monkeys with like really nice clothes on. <laughs> <because> this, <laughs> so of course they're gonna behave this way. <laughs>
0: yes, yeah. I just think that's so powerful because we get so attached to it. And as you say, like it, it comes down to our own experience, which has shaped yeah. that view, right? And then when you have your whole worldview changed, everything flips up. Yeah, for sure. Um, oh, What else can we talk about? The head and neck treadmill, spending all the energy, getting nowhere. I think, yeah, it's it's so interesting, the day and age we're living in and, and the social media. I mean, everyone always talks about it being a highlight reel. Do you find that you go off it to stay sane or do you still have some presence?
3: So I, I believe in something that it's, sometimes it's called an information diet. Uh, I've referred to it. I wrote a couple articles calling it uh, uh, the attention diet. But basically what I have found, because it's obviously if you're doom scrolling all day, Mm -hmm. that's not healthy or good. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, a few years ago when I would experiment with just not checking social media at all. I did feel a little bit disconnected, a little bit out of touch. You know, you start realizing like, well, there are some people I do want to know what's going on in their life. and I and you know, and there are authors and people online that like I do want to hear from. Mm. And so kind of the the solution I came to is just becoming absolutely merciless with blocking and unfollowing like anything <laughs> anything that is even slightly impure in my social feed is just no, my energy removed. has no time for that <laughs> and uh and it actually it's funny it made me start enjoying social media to a certain extent again mm. so yeah it's just really brutally pared down block unfollow and and obviously the criticism of that is like oh well you don't want to put yourself in an echo chamber well yeah but also you can decide like mm. you can follow smart people with these ideas and smart people with those ideas and let both ideas show up in your news feed like the i guess the the parameters of whether i follow somebody or not is not necessarily like whether i agree with them on everything they say or whether they make me feel good all the time yeah. it's it's based on respect and honesty but i suppose how does that
0: differ from back in the olden days where you'd go to a library and choose a book by an author that you like and you choose to read those books i i suppose it's not too dissimilar to that
3: yeah honestly and 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 this is something i've said for a couple of years now and it's nobody likes hearing it so (laughs) bring it on (laughs) uh honestly i think 90 80 to 90% of the problems with social media have always existed. I think Mm. the only thing that social media does is it just accelerates them a little bit because, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a lot of this stuff that people complain about, you know, Politically, it existed with cable television. You know, when wow. I was growing up, they said that video games rotted kids' brains, <laughs> and and that you know magazine covers were making everybody feel insecure about themselves. That's you know, true. So There's always a problem, is, right? Yeah. Yeah, this stuff has been around forever. It's it just changes forms and speeds up.
0: So, do you identify in the wellness or um, self help world as a self help? guru like how do you how do you identify (laughs) do you feel like a bit of a fraud
3: i am a self-hating self-help guru
0: (laughs) have you kind of immersed yourself in the community because i can imagine people in the self-help world would actually probably really gravitate to you even though it kind of conflicts with the ideas have you found that there have been some interesting people which have reached out uh
3: so early on i got invited to a number of kind of conventional self-help conferences Mm. and and i was absolutely the turd and the punch bowl at (laughs) these parties it was so funny so this is something i've I've actually never understood but yeah a lot of like i am constantly critical of the self-help industry and a lot of the ideas within it and see i'm a sucker for it. career
0: i'm gonna be straight yeah. up like i've always been a sucker hey, for it like every self-help great. book i would have bought and i bought yours as soon as it came out i was like oh i love
3: yeah. this <laughs> well no and this is the thing is a huge percentage of my fans yes. are self-help junkies like right. they're into all of it they they love like the more woo woo and energetic it is the more they're into it yeah and, and, and so i think what happens a lot is those people think that I'm that way too, even though I like very explicitly say in my work that I think this is bullshit. <laughs> they, for some reason they think they're like, oh yeah, you know, Mark is into this. He'll it's be great. It's so, so funny.
0: I- Cause I was thinking, I bet you he like still is into the law of the universe and like putting out, you know, all the no. positive energy and vibrating. Surely there's some fraction of you. No, no. Damn it.
1: no, <laughs> no It is so funny.
0: Ex- people assume
3: that. I am a stone-cold nihilistic (laughs) curmudgeon (laughs) Uh, in... but yeah, I, 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 got for a couple of years, I got invited to these things and then, you know, I would get up on stage and they would start asking me questions and I, you know, you, you could hear a pin drop in the conference room, you know, like just people would look at me with such disgust and disdain and, uh, yeah. And then I, I stopped getting invited. Yeah. Okay. Right.
0: <laughs> Damn it. That's so funny. Cause I was like, now nah, maybe behind the scenes, like. He'll be hanging out with Oprah and Gabby Bernstein and all the kind of like universe has your back people, but no, maybe no. not. Ugh. I mean,
3: may, maybe, maybe if you caught me like 15 years ago, there was definitely some of that. Um, so
0: you, so you did devil quite a bit with.
3: Oh yeah! Oh yeah! A lot of woo woo. Yeah. Not a lot of woo woo, but definitely some. Ooh. Definitely some woo woo. Um, you know, I did. I did psychedelics before it was cool, um, <laughs> yeah. and before it was mainstream. It, yeah. Yeah, and, and, you know, would read these crazy books about, you know, quantum energy and, you know, the sixth sense and all this stuff. And But there's something yeah, wrong no. with that
0: stuff. I still feel like that can still coexist with the stuff that you are talking about in your book. Like I'm still like the universe has my back, but also life is shit. And some of the best <laughs> stuff, you know, so, you're going to really struggle and that's okay. And I think the acceptance is yeah. the biggest part, right?
3: So I, I agree with you and, and I I look at it the same way I look at religion, yeah. right? Like so there there are a lot of a lot of people who are into my stuff are actually very religious. Mm. And my belief I'm an atheist, but I personally think that religion has a lot of psychological benefits for a lot of people. Uh, it gives hope. Yeah, and it's in honestly, if you look at the psychological psychological literature religious people are happier they have Mm. better relationships they live longer uh they have better communities you know so there there is a lot to be said for religiosity and so it's like even you know if i hear a hardcore christian say like you know uh jesus loves me and that makes me feel better or whatever Mm. factually i think that's totally bullshit (laughs) but as just a belief that is helpful for that person keeping them mentally healthy emotionally healthy I recognize the value of that, and so when it comes to kind of these woo-woo things of like the universe's energy and you know uh, whatever the new things are these days, I look at it the same way. I'm like, yeah, that's totally unscientific, but it makes a lot of people feel better. It makes them happier. It makes them more functional. They're not so, hurting
0: anyone in the process,
3: exactly, unless exactly. they're taking
0: advantage of people and, and taking a lot of money from them. But
1: <laughs> yeah, which
3: also the religious is you know, that happens in religions too, you know? So it's, yeah, I see it kind of the same way.
0: Mm, So interesting. Oh my gosh. I would love to pick your brain all day. Um, Are you going to come down to New Zealand to remote?
3: Uh, I would love to. I, I actually don't know. it's uh i think there's gonna be a a theatrical release down there yeah i'm just gonna like lean on the side err on the side of saying there is gonna be and then just (laughs) let let people be disappointed if there's not but i still i still don't think dates exact dates are confirmed and i don't know exactly where i'm gonna be so no
0: that's all good but are you planning on coming back to new zealand at any time
3: for the food yes (laughs) yes just just period yeah it's yeah new zealand's definitely there's there's a short list of places that my wife and i have agreed that like we want to go back probably like every five years or so and new zealand made it Woohoo! yeah
0: Yeah. (laughs) oh mark i know you'll be very busy you've got many interviews to do thank you so much for chatting me today it's um been a real privilege to talk to you
3: it's been great talking to you thanks
0: That was Mark Manson, of course, the author of the book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Um, I still feel so naughty saying that. Uh, but the movie, the documentary is out in cinemas today. Uh, so go check it out if you're looking to be inspired. It is, it's quite brutal when you start watching it. You're like, oh, oh man, it might challenge, you know, the way you have seen the world. But I think it it has some really sobering, thought processes and um, ideas that emerge and uh, yeah I think it's, it's something cool to watch as we get into a brand new year so hope you enjoyed that chat with Mark and I'd love to know your feedback you can hit me up on Instagram the PJ podcast send me a DM and if you haven't subscribed already you can do so wherever you listen to your podcast leave a review and I'll catch you back next week